0: Hey, it's Adam. Welcome to our weekly teaching podcast here at South Hills Church in Corona, California. Our hope is that as you listen in, you'll find yourself laughing and learning and being challenged and encouraged to grab hold of who God has made you to be. Enjoy the message. The title of my message is Mark Me As A Maybe. Mark me as a maybe. Don't you love when people reply to your invitation with, like, oh, that sounds amazing? Mark me as a maybe. Um, that's a firm maybe, okay? As a definite maybe, possibly. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, I love New Year's, uh, but I, I hate trying to figure out what we're going to do for New Year's and does anybody else get stressed out around the holidays Of just like what, what, what are we going to do where are we going to go Is it, are, are they coming to what's happening I, if, for whatever reason I get worked up about it and at, you know we this year we decided we're going to have a, a party we're going to have some people over because our kids are now old enough to where we can't do the fake out thing where you know we show like a ball drop from China you know and we're like yeah happy New Year and then we go to bed at 6 pm because we're old um now they've caught on, they know what's going on, and so we gotta we gotta extend it all the way to the real midnight. On the West Coast, and uh, they want to have friends over, and so we played uh, games and stuff like that, and had sparkling cider, and it was great. But like the countdown to seeing if this party was going to happen was a nightmare. Okay, just uh, it, like just being on edge the whole time, and it's not because like necessarily because my wife and I are control freaks. I mean, she is, but like the the real thing. I'm just kidding a little bit. Um, but the the real issue is you, there are things you have to know, right? If you are hosting in order to like pull the thing off, right? Like, how many people are we preparing for? Okay, like, are we gonna have enough food? All right, are, are you gonna bring some things or are we having to buy everything? How's that gonna work? Like if we invite this couple and they actually come, then we're gonna need to get a sitter, all right? Maybe some kid snacks. If they don't come, then we can tell this other these other two couples that they can bring alcohol, okay? Unless this guy comes because he's in recovery, okay? And so then that gets weird and we don't wanna tempt him and we gotta balance it out. And like, what games are we gonna play and what are we gonna do? And is it like a, we have planned activities? And also, if no one's coming, then why are we cleaning the house right now, okay? Because we could still be in sweatpants just lounging about, right? Like, um, and so we need to know a few things. And it's, it's frustrating trying to get people to to commit, to say something more than, than just a maybe. And at the same time, you've probably been on the receiving end of that, right? Where someone's inviting you to something and they invite you and you're just like, oh, that's kind of cool. Yeah, I'll let you know. And then you get like 17 more texts in the next 15 minutes. And they're like, "Are you coming? Are you coming? Are you going to come? Are you guys going to come? Do you think you're going to come? What are the chances that you guys are going to come? If you do come, what do you think you could bring? When are you going to be there? Okay? And you're just like, I don't know. Okay? I told you I have to talk to my wife. I still haven't talked to her. Okay? It's only been two minutes since I texted you that I haven't. I'm still at work. I haven't driven home yet. And and the more they press you, the more you're just like, Now, why are you so desperate? Okay? Now that's like a turnoff. Now I'm starting to like feel weird about it. Like you're trying to to trap me and something bad's gonna happen. Maybe that's just because I watch too many murder documentaries, but like I, I, I get suspicious. And what ends up happening is no, no matter which end you're on, what a lot of us end up with is a whole lot of maybes. And I don't know about you, but when someone says maybe to an invitation that you throw out there, what I usually hear is like, okay, maybe uh, meaning uh, I am waiting to see if something better comes along with someone better. But if that doesn't happen, then I maybe might possibly drop by, right? It feels like a code. And uh, maybe you've been brushed off in this way before where you're just like, okay, what are you waiting for? Who are you waiting for? In, because you're not saying yes to me. What is the thing that you're holding out for? And this is annoying, but not always devastating. Um, but sometimes it is. I noticed that, like with a handful of uh, of our friends, this past year. They were planning, you know, uh, birthday parties for their kids. And uh, like the invitations went out and all that. And nobody was was RSVPing. And so then there was this sort of frantic scrambling at the last minute with these parents. Like putting out like, okay, seriously, can someone come? We got invited to some parties. We don't even know the kids. You know what I mean? They're just like, we got to have somebody at this party. Because no one's confirming. And I don't want my kid to be at a birthday party with no one there, right? Everyone loves you. They just can't show it with their attendance, right? Like that's a really hard one. And, and there was a bunch of birthday parties that was just like a couple people because everyone is in this state of non-commitment. And the truth is, I, I think our culture has always been a little bit on the non-committal side. But I, I feel like in the last couple of years, it's gotten worse. Does this seem like that to you? Like over the last couple of years, like you get more maybes than you've ever gotten ever because there's a lot more sort of unknown factors than we've ever had before. Now you've got to think of not just like is something else going to come up that's maybe more interesting or maybe more exciting, but now you're thinking about like is is am I going to get COVID? Is somebody else there going to have COVID? Like what public protocols are going to be in place, and like do I want to participate? Is that going to be frustrating? Like we want to go to that place, but is that business even going to be open by the time the date arrives and we get there? Like are my kids going to be like able to go to school in person, or are they just going to be strictly Zooming at that point? Because That may determine my energy levels and my likelihood of murdering someone. Like, I don't know if I wanna say yes, right? Am I still gonna have a job by then, right? Like, if I'm making a financial commitment, am I still gonna have work? If I have work, where am I gonna be working from? Is it gonna be there? Am I working from here? Like, you know, am I just gonna be doing my job or am I gonna be doing part of someone else's job because that person is now in quarantine and so now I gotta do my thing and their thing and like a couple other people's things. Do I even wanna get together with these people? Okay, because I like them, sort of. But like, if we get together, they're just gonna end up wanting to talk about politics. And I don't know if I have the energy for that. And these are the people I agree with. They're exhausting. Don't get me started about all the other people that maybe I don't agree with. And I think we're seeing this more and more and more. It's like our culture is manufacturing at a rapid rate so many excuses to sort of lay back wait and see and not commit. And yet I think this tendency that we have to avoid commitment is way bigger than COVID and it's way bigger than, than just you know, social get togethers. In fact, we are one of the most non-committal cultures in human history. We don't like being tied down to anything. Like we don't wanna be tied down to a specific job or to a relationship or to a schedule or to certain expectations. I would argue that the main mantra of our generation is keep your options open. Keep your options open. Sociologists are, are seeing this so much that um, it's got a pretty prevalent nickname. It's, it's called liquid modernity. And I wanna just read you the definition of this because I feel like it's so, such a bullseye of where much of our culture is. Liquid modernity is a shape-shifting nomadism characterized by flexibly flowing through life like a tourist. Frequently changing places, partners, preferences, jobs, goals, and even values. Excluding oneself from networks of support along with any restrictions or requirements those networks impose. I, when I look at this, I see so much of the world around me reflected back to me in this simple definition. And it's not entirely bad or good, right? It, there's a definite upside. The upside, of, of this sort of thing is that man, we we can make our own decisions. And because of it, we are likely to not be driven by obligation, which maybe like previous generations were. They just like, I hate my life and my job, but I, I mean, what are you gonna do? You know, and they just sort of muscle along. And we feel like we have the opportunity to sort of go anywhere we want and be anywhere we want to and do anything we wanna do, which is incredibly invigorating. And inspiring and exciting. And as it turns out, if we trust the statistics, it's also sort of a nightmare. It has a dark side that that maybe we didn't fully anticipate going in. Because all of these options that we have at every imaginable turn don't really seem to be making us all that happy in the way that we thought they would. In fact, uh, there's a residual effect. Uh, A lot of us are having trouble sort of, you know, going deep in or committing to long-term relationships, because if this isn't really panning out, like, eh, I'll just trade you in for something else. Uh, I'll just move on, right? We don't really feel seen or known or settled because we don't really stay around the same group of people and let them really know our lives because a lot of us have trust issues, right? We don't give our best to much of anything because, you know, we feel like it's not really going to last that long or matter much anyway. Why do I want to like, like, really give my all to this because it's going to be irrelevant in three months? So, I mean, I just kind of phone it in and get by. We're skeptical of everything and everyone. Our attention spans are shrinking, uh, which is why some of you have already stopped paying attention to the sermon. Right? You've already checked out. You're like, this note sheet is great for doodling. Have you filled in all the O's yet? And and the D's? You can do that too. Right, we, we, we can't seem to stick with habits long enough to even see if they work. You ever find yourself like, I'm gonna do this! And then you, you forge in and you're just like, you know what, if I can't lose 50 pounds the first day, this doesn't work, okay? This is stupid, all right? I, this doesn't transform my life at all. You're like, you're 15 minutes into this thing. Like, what did you think was gonna happen, okay? But this is becoming like who we are. Everything is moving so fast that it, it just feels like there's no way to keep up, there's no way to stay relevant because the whole world is liquid, And it's feeling like nothing is really stable or reliable. And we've become this way because everything that we've come to count on is also wrapped up in functioning this way as well. And our culture tells us, like, you know, what are you going to do? This is just the way that it is. So adapt. Value abstract skills that can you know, easily be applied anywhere. Don't get too sentimental about anything. Keep your distance. Don't get too attached. Be, just be coldly efficient, right? Don't, don't get too, you know, don't take anything too seriously. And don't like be offended if other people don't take things seriously either. And we take this advice more and more. Maybe not even by design, but just sort of by default. And it, it sort of empowers us to be functioning but not necessarily to experience fulfillment. And this is the crisis that we're experiencing in our culture, a crisis of of meaning, that we're just sort of going through the motions. but We feel like there's not a lot of depth in our interactions. And what's wild about this is, when we look back through the halls of history, a lot of the people that we would hold up as our heroes, whether it's in a given industry or whether it's uh, we, they're a hero spiritually or uh, they're a hero because of the way they led their family, whatever, that, whatever they're a hero in the category of, they didn't live their lives in this way at all. They function in a completely different way. They made long-term commitments to particular places and communities, to causes and crafts, to institutions and to other people. And when we look at their lives, we're like, man, I love that. We admire them so much for doing it. I mean, we're not going to do it, but that's great that you did. That is incredible. Because we have a different sort of question, right? The question that sort of bubbles up below the surface, when we look at what someone else is doing and what they're achieving and what they have, and we admire that, the question that comes to our mind is, how do we get what our heroes got without having to do what they did? There's got to be a shortcut, right? There's got to be like, a, like an app you can download or like a pill you can take or like a, like a surgery that you can get or some sort of an online class that's only 15 minutes. How do you, like, is, how do, you do that? Like there's got to be a way to shortcut or short-circuit the process. And again, this is so prevalent, not just in our current culture, but in terms of just how human nature works that one of the, the writers of the New Testament talks about this idea, this tendency that we have to always look for a shortcut and think that maybe we can get around having to actually plant ourselves and make commitments and sow into something that we want to see go the distance. And This is what it says. Uh, this is in a letter to the Galatian church, cleverly titled Galatians. And uh, it's in chapter 6, verse 7. And this is what the author says. It says, do not be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You'll always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the spirit will harvest everlasting life from the spirit. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. So there's like a farming analogy that's being utilized here saying like, you know how farming works, right? Like whatever you plant, that's the thing that grows. Uh, whatever thing that you tend to, that you garden, right? That's the thing that ends up coming up out of the soil long-term. And a lot of us are like are, have this sort of disconnection between how we've organized our life and what is coming out of our life, right? How we've arranged our schedule and what our life is actually producing, right? How we've organized our time and attention and the level of meaning or fulfillment that we're experiencing. And essentially what this passage is saying is that you become what you repetitively do. You become what you repetitively do. And the downside of this is that a lot of us aren't regularly doing anything all that meaningful because we're not sure we wanna commit. Because commitment costs. And so instead, instead of making the decision and committing and carrying out that commitment, we find ourselves in, in what author Pete Davis calls infinite browsing mode. Infinite browsing mode. Now this is a term that he created and essentially, this is the best way I know how to describe it. Like, you know when you're, you're, you're like, okay, let's watch a movie tonight, right? And you get all excited, and you get snuggled down on the couch under the covers. You got the popcorn with the M&Ms melted in there. You guys know how to do it, okay? And you're like, okay, what are we gonna watch? And so now you gotta pick a platform. You find that platform. And then you're like, okay, what do we wanna do? And you're scrolling through different things and and you're like, you're watching trailers. You watch like 117 trailers, okay? You, one of you is like taking notes in your phone about which ones are gonna make the top three. And then you go back and watch those trailers. And then you're like, I'm kind of feeling this, but I don't know what mood I'm in. And then you start watching the first two minutes of the one and you're just like, I'm too tired. We gotta, and so you shut it off. You don't end up watching anything because four hours have gone by of just browsing your options and you go to bed unsatisfied because you didn't end up actually getting to do the thing that you wanted to do. And infinite browsing is essentially that, but in every area of your life, that you're constantly looking around for like the best thing or or the decision that you wanna make or the right commitment to make and, and you don't actually end up committing and so you're just constantly looking and living on the surface and living this way creates all sorts of problems for us. And sometimes we don't really fully um, recognize these problems um, I- until we step back from our life and realize what they're creating in the rear view mirror. And I want to just sort of give you an overview of, I think three big problems that infinite browsing is creating in our, not just our culture, but in our individual lives. And the first thing that 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 that's happening is that endlessly searching for the best thing prevents us from selecting and being satisfied with a really good thing. And this is a problem, right? As it turns out, the more options we have, the more paranoid we become about picking the wrong option and the more particular we become about maybe what the right option entails. Like, for example, uh, all growing up, my grandpa was a coffee drinker and he strictly drank Folgers. You guys remember Folgers? Is that even still around? Um, I didn't even know if they were still making it at the time my grandpa was drinking it. But he just like, he had a big like barrel and I was just like, is that gunpowder? He's like, no, it's Folgers. You know what I mean? He was just, he was going at it. I mean, I would wake up, he was already up, you know, no matter how early I got and he was drinking Folgers. And here's the crazy thing. He seemed like he liked it, right? He seemed perfectly content with it, Right? And we would try and like like show him other things or get him other things for Christmas. And he was just like, why do I want this? I already made my decision. I like Folgers, okay? I've got 45 gallons of Folgers, in the shed, okay? And we're like, doesn't that go bad? And he's like, I don't know. I mean, like, but he was committed. Now it doesn't work like that, right? There's an infinite variety of like beans and blends and roast, And then there's like, you know, how the coffee is made. It's like, are you gonna do it this method or this method or this method? Then what are you gonna put in the coffee? And then what kind of cup does it go in? And then how do you mix it up? And what's the right ratio? And the reality of it is, we all know people, we may be the people, right? Who like, if you don't get your coffee, at the right time, from the right place, made in the right way, your whole day is ruined. You ever have that thing where somebody comes in in a bad mood and you're like, oh my gosh, are you okay? They're like, no. You're like, did someone die? And they're like, no, soy milk. You're like, this is about soy milk, right? And yet this is real for a lot of us because our attitude is just like, man, if it's not the best, I don't want it. But this way of being isn't actually making us happier. It's just making us more particular. And the more particular we become about certain things, the the more dissatisfied we become when we can't get what we think we deserve. And then, of course, there becomes the issue of, like, how do you even know if you've found what's best? I mean, you've been there, right? Like something, you know, like goes bad in your house. You're just like, it's we got to get a new toaster, you know? The one that we got 20 years ago when we got married, it finally, I mean, it's like, so what do we get? And so you're like, you know what? I'm going to, I want to get a good one. I want to, the best one. Okay, so I'm gonna do some research. And so you, you do some research and 47 hours later, uh, you got a spreadsheet, you know what I mean? You're comparing and contrasting. You're like, do we want th- this one? And this one has like holes for hot dogs. I, I've never done that before. I don't think I, but what if I want to start in the future? And this one, it butters it by itself. And like, I don't know, but this one is like, it's a, there's some reviews on here. Of some very angry people. And I don't know them, but I mean, they seem credible. There's four likes next to this review. And there's just so many options and so many opinions that we just, we feel frozen and we don't know what to do. And that's a toaster. Like how much more true is that when we're facing big life decisions about like, what do I wanna study? And what kind of person do I wanna be? And what kind of friends do I wanna have? And where do I wanna work? And who do I wanna connect my life romantically to? These things can flat out, paralyze us. Um, In his book, The The Paradox of Choice, researcher Barry Schwartz says this, and I want to just read you this giant quote because I think the whole thing is just so powerful. He says this, at some point, choice no longer liberates, but debilitates. We like the idea of choice, but not often the experience of it. It's the grass is always greener trap. Most of us would be happy by simply picking an option that's good enough. But too many of us are trained to be maximizers, unsatisfied until we're assured that every decision was the best that could possibly be made. That's a lot of pressure. When in reality, good enough usually is. Wow. Like in a society where we're constantly being told like, do better, do your best, never settle. It's like, no, sometimes settle. Because in reality, statistically, people who pick something and stick with it long-term are happier than those who are always on the lookout for something better, even if better actually exists. That's mind-blowing. But often it doesn't. Because often the better that we're holding out for isn't a real option, but an imagined option, right? Like we take sort of the best features of all of the things out there And we ignore all of the downside. And we sort of cobble together like a transformer of all the best stuff and none of the bad stuff. And we're just like, that's what I want. And everyone's like, that's not a real thing. This happens a lot in romantic relationships, right? We're just like, I don't like this person I'm with. Because I actually, when I started living with them, I realized like they are not perfect. (laughs) Far from it. You know what I would like? I would like the chiseled jaw of this guy, but like, you know, the workout regimen of this guy and like the romantic side of this guy, but like the fun dad vibes of this guy. And it's like, that's not a real person. And also with that amazing shining trait, there's also an inverse of that. Those things coexist together. A lot of times the thing that we're holding out for is something that isn't even real. And to complicate it even further, you know, uh, if you grew up in church, maybe you grew up with this idea of like the perfect will of God, that there's one right, perfect thing, like a perfect path that God laid out for you. And there, like, so you better, you better pick wisely, okay? Because if you don't, you're not gonna be in good with God. And basically you will have ruined your entire life, no pressure. But here's what's interesting about this. When you look at scripture, it, it, it seems to paint the opposite picture of who God is and what God presents to us. Let me just read you an example, like one of the earliest possible examples from the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter two, verse 15. This is after the creation of the world, right? There's this, this poem about the, this man and this woman being placed in a garden. This is what it says. It says, God placed the man in the garden of Eden to tend and watch over it, but warned, you may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden, except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. Now think about what this is saying on a bigger level about who God is. Because I felt like the picture was painted to me as a kid, that it was the opposite, right? That, that, that God placed us in a garden and was just like, there's one good tree out there that's healthy in the forest that is Earth." good luck. Don't screw up. Don't pick the wrong thing. Don't pick the wrong person. Don't pick the wrong career. Don't pick the wrong field of study. Don't pick the wrong spiritual practice, right? Or else you will have thrown your life away. So man, I hope you find warmer, warmer, colder, like it was some weird game. But that's not what we see at all. We see the opposite, right? God places people in this garden, and he's just like, literally everything here is an amazing option. If you pick it and lean into it and commit yourself to it, man, it will bring fulfillment and excitement to your life. There's one thing. There's one thing. It's like, I almost, I'm like, why even talk about it? Because it's like one in a million. And they're like, ooh, tell us about that one. That's what we tend to do, right? What if... What if the what you've led, been led to believe is all wrong? What if God actually wants you to enjoy your life? What if God has created this amazing garden of incredible options and opportunities and is just like, oh man, any of these things would be great. And we're paralyzed like, oh, but which one? I don't know. And he's like, I mean, really any of the, just not that one. Okay, so not that one, but, but which one should I do? And it's like, well, really any, any of these are amazing. I know, but which one is the better of the best of the good ones? we freak ourselves out unnecessarily because it's not that there's a million wrong choices and one right one. It's that there's a million right choices and one or two wrong ones. And when we don't understand this, I think what ends up happening is we experience this total paralyzation and we continue on infinitely browsing and never really selecting anything. Because the truth is, when we're afraid to choose the wrong thing, what we end up doing is we sample everything, commit to nothing, And we don't find fulfillment in anything. We just are constantly searching. And this is not what God wants for any of us. The second problem, I think, with infinite browsing is that resisting specific goals robs us of our sense of progress and purpose. And we've all done this before, right? We say things, especially towards the beginning of the new year, we're like, this year, I'm gonna be, you know what? I just wanna be healthier, I'm gonna be healthier. And it's like, that's so great, like how? I don't, I don't know, this is like healthier in, in general. Do you know how healthy you are right now? No clue, right? It's just too, it's like we make these goals that are like way too vague to evaluate. And why do we do this, right? Because we feel like we should come up with something. But in reality, it's like, we think, if I don't commit to a specific thing, then I can't be held accountable to anything. And I like that. Because, I mean, people can't call you out on something if you technically never committed to it. They're just like, hey, how come you're like, well, I, no, I actually I never really actually said that, okay? I, was, I said maybe, okay? so And I said healthier. And so since it's, I didn't define it, um, maybe I'm doing it. Who knows? But here's the downside of this. Unfortunately, you have no way of knowing if you're doing it either which ends up being a bad thing because you have no sense of how you're actually doing in life. And we feel this in a really deep way. It's what really drives a lot of depression in our lives because the only way to know if you're doing good is to first define good. What is that thing? Like I I have to have something to compare myself to, to know if I'm moving in the right direction And here's the big problem with avoiding ever really pinning down and setting a course and and determining who we're going to be and what we want to pursue is that people who commit to nothing struggle to find meaning because that's what commitment does in our lives. It gives us a sense of who we are and what our life is about. I read this really um, sad and depressing research study this past year that I'm gonna pass on to you so you can feel weird about it as well. I read this, this, this research study um, that was, uh, it basically looked into the stories of people who had died by suicide. And what it discovered was two different trends. Like most of the people that they looked at in this, in this survey Um, like they fell into one of two categories. And the first category was those whose identity was too wrapped up in communal expectations, right? So they were so defined by what everyone around them thought and expected and wanted from them that any, any sort of minute adjustment and any sort of admission of being different or thinking differently or functioning differently felt like immediate rejection. And so the conclusion they came to is, I'd rather die than be rejected. And so I choose death. And here's the crazy thing. The other category of people most people fall into is the exact opposite. It's those who had no sense of communal expectations. Like they had nothing to be a part of, nothing to aspire to, nothing to believe in. And because of that, they descended into meaninglessness and and apathy and nihilism. They kind of reached this place where they're like, "I, I don't know what my life is about. Right. My life doesn't have any meaning. And so I choose not to live. And this is the irony, I think, of existence, that we don't want to be forced to live by other people's standards. But if we don't have any standards to live by, we have no idea who we are or what our life is about. Because as it turns out, we don't just want to like have fun and experience warm, fuzzy, excited feelings all the time. We also want expectations to meet. We want aspirations to seek. We want honor to earn in our lives. And all those things only exist when we set a course and join a community. But committing to a community requires us to pick a priority and because of that priority, submit to certain standards and expectations. And we don't wanna do that. And what a lot of us do is we throw off like the, what feels like the oppression of somebody else's goals for our life. We're just like, I don't have to do what you say. Okay, I'm 18, I'll do what I want to. I'll live my own life. I don't have to be what you wanted me to be. I don't have to live the way you wanted me to live. I can do my own thing. And so we experience freedom from like the expectations of others, and then what are we free to do? It's like, what are you gonna do with all this freedom? I don't know. Let's probably swatch watch some TV. I don't know, you know. We don't leverage it for anything. And so our life descends into meaninglessness. And and the question I have is just like, what if instead of, of being a slave to someone else's goals, you chose your own goals and you willingly submitted yourself to the process of pursuing them? What if instead of having like no map at all, like no expectations, no standards, no restrictions in your life, what if you decided based on who you want to be, what restrictions and standards you're going to place on yourself? And then what if you hold yourself accountable to those things? And the third thing, uh, problem I think with infinite browsing mode is that you, you can't delay commitment without delaying fulfillment and you don't have forever. Like we, we end up, a lot of us, living in a perpetual state of limbo which is really stressful and exhausting and deeply unfulfilling. Don't you hate it when like you need to do something but you're waiting on an answer or information or resources from someone and they won't get back with you? And you're just like waiting and, and, you, and you don't wanna bug them and harass them, but it's like, you need to know. It's like, I can't do this because I don't know about that. And I need, when, when are you gonna tell me? And you're just like, and you're just kind of holding there and it's so stressful and it's so frustrating and you're, you're tired. Like you're not really doing anything except for worrying, but the worry just wears you out. And you feel like maybe you are living in like a real world version of like that spinning rainbow wheel on the computer screen except the one that doesn't have the progress bar. And you're like, How, is, this a, is this like two minutes? Is this five years? Do I reset it? I don't know what to do. And we just feel stuck, which is nothing that any of us wanna be. But sometimes I think the person that you are waiting to get back to you is you. That you're the one stalling. That who you are waiting on is actually yourself to commit to something worthwhile and go all in. There's, there's this uh, prayer that's recorded in the book of Psalms about this idea. It says in Psalm 90, chapter 12, it says, teach us to realize the brevity of life so that we may grow in wisdom. And this is wedged in the middle of a song, right? So songs are meant to be sung and repeated over and over again becomes like a mantra, like lyrics sort of wedge themselves inside of you. And this is repeated over and over again because whoever it was that wrote this needed to know and be reminded continually, I don't have forever. I want to make the most of my life. I want to make wise decisions. I want to live wisely. I don't want to spend my whole life in like, you know, infinite browsing mode, having never committed to anything and and feel fulfilled by nothing. That's not who I want to be or how I want to be. And I think the thing that this points at is the reality that you don't get to determine the length of your days, but you do get to decide the depth of them. Like this this idea is not like a, a suggestion to just sort of impulsively choose, decide, commit, devote yourself to anything. It's saying devote yourself to wise things. You know what people end up finding the most fulfilling at the end of their lives? The noble personal commitments that required them to struggle, stay the course, exercise courage, and count the cost. Because what we want most is not ease and, and effortlessness. What we want is passion and purpose. And there's always a cost to those things. In other words, fulfillment is found in following through on meaningful commitments aimed at making us into who we actually wanna be. And so, what sort of commitments are most likely to turn us into the sorts of people? That we want to be? I think it's a great question for Jesus. And if you were to ask him, which someone did, this is what he would say, because it is what he said. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. Isn't it fascinating that like, I think so much of our conversations with God are just like, God, what should I commit my life to? Like, what should I do? Which option should I choose? Like, which direction should I go? And he's just like, "Yeah, I would love to do." Did you do the first thing I asked you to do? Yeah, I didn't not going to do that. But can you just answer this question? He's like, "Well, the answer to that question is in this practice." We're like, "Yeah, but I don't want to do that." What's the shortcut? How, how do I skip over that but still? feel fulfilled and happy with my path and feel like like life is the way it should be and like I have meaning. he's like, I already answered this question. Yeah, but I don't wanna do that. We find ourselves sort of in this roundabout way. I think sometimes the the existence of infinite browsing in our life is that we just don't wanna do what we already know we need to do. And so we're stalling. What Jesus is saying here. Is that the best way to combat the anxiousness of existence is to prioritize your connection to Christ above all else. And you know that anxiousness, right? The anxiousness that just comes from being a person in the world. It's just like, am I making the most of my life? Am I am I doing the right stuff? Like, am I, am I, am I a good person? Like, I don't, I, I feel I uh uh. We have that like sort of angst just bouncing around inside of us. And Jesus, the people in this time without technology and all of the stuff that sort of like hijacks our neurology, these people are still experiencing it. And Jesus is like, I'm telling you, if you prioritize your connection to Christ, all that other stuff has a way of sort of settling down and losing focus. All those answers seem to sort of come into place or become less important. Everything ends up falling into place. How do we do that? I, this, in this passage, right, it says, seek the kingdom of God. Seek is an active word. It requires energy, right? It requires a regular investment of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. It's a present tense, moment by moment, one day at a time pursuit, not the occasional stand or speech or post. Some of us are like, that's what's really gonna change my, did you see my post? Ha ho, ho. I'm transformed. It's like, no, you texted something, okay? What Jesus is saying is like, if you wanna really experience fulfillment, it's found in rooting your day-to-day life in rhythms that remind you of what Jesus did for you, what Jesus says about you, and what Jesus asks of you. If you keep that in your focus, life will function as it should. And what would happen to you if you did that? Like, what would the result of doing this for real be? Another way to ask it is, what would fulfillment feel like? The kind of fulfillment that Jesus promises if we lean in and pursue and prioritize him. There's a prophecy in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 17, verse seven, says this. says, blessed are those who trust in the Lord and have made the Lord their hope and confidence. They're like trees planted along a riverbank with roots that reach deep into the water. Such trees are not bothered by the heat or worried by long months of drought. Their leaves stay green and they never stop producing fruit. What does that mean? It's a metaphor. It's a metaphor of a a tree. And, And in this metaphor, the tree is you. It's an image of the you that you could become the version of you that, that, that decides to prioritize your connection to Christ, that puts your roots down deep, that plants yourself in one place and allows the roots of your life to grow down deep into the, the reality of what Jesus did for you, what Jesus says about you and what Jesus asks of you. And as you form your thoughts and your actions around these things in a very profound way, something happens in your life you receive strength and confidence and predictability and reliability and satisfaction. This is the imagery that pops up when we think of like a strong tree. What does it say? That it's like the heat doesn't intimidate it. Heat being like stress in life, pressure. Like my roots are down so deep, it doesn't, in affect me the way it's affecting you you can't be blown around even if there's a drought like when you go a long period of time without the circumstances being stacked in your favor It, it it doesn't really affect your level of fulfillment because you're rooted in something deeper and isn't this what we're all after a sense of of unbreakable strength and confidence and predictability and reliability and satisfaction deep in our soul. And the next logical question is like, yeah, that's great. What are some practical strategies? And if you're wondering that, you should come back because that is all we're gonna talk about the rest of the series. The practical strategies of how to put in place rhythms in your life that prioritize what Jesus did for you, what Jesus says about you and what Jesus asks of you so that you can tap into the meaning that is so elusive for so many people in our present society. But for starters, one thing I would suggest is the, the initiative that Pastor Moses teased out in the, the Senior Pastor Spotlight, um, this Read Every Day initiative. Now with this, with this like really like, Creative title. It's like, what is that about? Um, It's about reading every day, okay? Specifically, the Bible. And maybe, maybe you're just like, man, there's a lot of wisdom in there, and I love it, and I love getting to hear sermons and learn, but like, I just don't feel like I really know that. And so many of us are getting so many inputs from so many other places that maybe aren't healthy or inspiring or helpful, Um, They're not God-centered. We need a regular input of the wisdom of God in our lives. And um, the easiest way to to participate in this, we wanna encourage everybody on all of our campuses to do this, is um, there's an app that you can go to or you can go to the website. So it's bibleinoneyear.org. Um, or you can download the app, which is just the Bible in One Year app. And the cool thing about this is it's got all sorts of different things that you can set up for yourself. You can choose if you wanna go the more elaborate route, if you wanna have it read to you, if you wanna read it yourself, if you wanna get a daily email, if you wanna get a weekly email, if you want text reminders, like whatever system works for you, and you can change those settings at sort of any point in time throughout. Um, it's It's a great way to sort of couple technology to empower you to participate in an ancient spiritual discipline that will keep your mind right. And um, I wanna encourage you to participate with all of our staff and all of our campuses um, in this initiative this year. This is one place that you can start right now, just incrementally doing something that will root your soul in who God is and what God says about you. I'm telling you, your life will be more fulfilling as a result. But you've got to commit. And that's what I want to pray into your life today, that you would have the courage this year to make certain commitments, to commit not just to doing things that would be cool to do, but to becoming the kind of person that you want to be. And those things have a set of actions, and we're going to talk through them. But my, my prayer for you is that, that you would follow through, that God would inspire you and give you the courage to step out and declare what you want to do and who you want to be, and that you would place one foot in front of the other and really prioritize him this year. Would you bow your heads across this room? I don't want to pray that into your life. God, thank you so much for every person in this place. Thank you for the life that you have given to us. Thank you for the way in which you empower us to live our lives to the full, to live in a fulfilling sort of way. And God, I pray that you would help us not just to sort of run away from the expectations or uh, the goals or um, the sort of confining structures that other people place on us, but God, may we determine with you who you've called us to be. And God, may we just do the, the first, take the first step of putting you first, of seeking you first, and letting you pull all the anxiety away from our heart. May you pull the worry out of our life as we lean into you, as we practice regular rhythms of putting you first. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for tuning in to this week's message. We hope you heard something that spoke directly to where you're at right now in life. To find out more about our church, hit up our website, southhills.org slash corona or follow us on social media at South Hills Corona. And if our messages have made a difference in your life, help us get the word out by rating and reviewing this podcast. And as always, you can support the ongoing work of our church by giving through our website at southhills.org slash give and selecting the Corona Campus. Thank you so much for listening. And we hope you'll join us again next week. God bless.